The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. If you would take your Bibles and open them to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 13. Tonight we'll be looking at verse 7, but by now you know the drill. I'd like to read all of the chapter. The Apostle Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove even the mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child and thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, we've uh, looked at this chapter for several weeks now, and... Uh, It's been a little heavier content, and so maybe we'll we'll start out tonight a little light. Um, I would say that Carolyn pushed me and promoted this, but it just wouldn't be true, so I won't say that. I just look at that phrase, love bears all things, it reminded me of something, just something about that word bears um, Pat Rothfuss says that each person, he's a fictional writer, he's not a theologian, uh, I don't even think he's a believer, but he says all of us carry around a question at the core of our soul. And if you can understand a person's question, you can understand something about who they are at the center of them. That really resonates for me, especially just tying some of these themes together. There's a question that's been at the center of my soul. That question goes something like this. Could I, in hand-to-hand combat, beat a bear? You might say that does tell me something about you and the center of your soul. The answer is yes, but I want to prove it. And though there might be those among us, like game wardens and those who have had interactions with bears that would say that's absurd, I will tell you that the Lord provided a chance for me to to, to answer that question in part 
to this, well, this week, on Monday, I was riding my mountain bike down Ash Canyon, and no less than six feet from me, an enormous bear was startled and tumbled down the bank in front of me. And I had to hit the brakes on my bike so that I didn't run over the bear. And so as I'm stopping, looking over my handlebars, and he's tumbling, looking at me, we both, I have this question in my heart, and he had a similar question in his heart. Can I beat that bear was my question, and his was, if I ever encounter a Viking who's biking, could I beat him? He answered his question in a resounding no. He ran away. I may never know the answer to my question because he wasn't man enough or bear enough to answer his. The Lord provided me another occasion five minutes from that point where I ran into the same bear down the trail, also six feet from me, and he like took a move at me. He was feeling it a little bit more the second time around, and I was like, bring it on. He backed down again. We both had a chance to answer our question. This has nothing to do with love bears all things, but I had the word bear. And I had to share it on the week that seemed like the Lord wanted me to. So things of real consequence <laughs> tonight. Jonathan Edwards says the child of God is encompassed with enemies on every side. See, there's that connection. Enemies on every side, bears, there's a connection somewhere. The child of God is encompassed with enemies on every side. He's a pilgrim and a stranger passing through an enemy's country and exposed to attack at any moment and at every moment. There are thousands of bitter enemies to the grace that is in the heart of every Christian. The world is an enemy to this grace because it abounds with persons and things that make opposition to it. And with various forms of allurement and temptation to win or drive us from the path of duty. The Christian is not only many enemies without, but multitudes within his own breast that he carries about with him. And from which he cannot get free. Evil thoughts and sinful inclinations cling to him. And many corruptions that still hold their footing in his heart are the worst enemies of that grace and have the greatest advantage of any in their warfare against it. And these enemies are not only many, but exceedingly strong and powerful and very bitter in their animosity, implacable, irreconcilable, Mortal enemies seeking nothing short of the utter ruin and overthrow of grace. And they are unwearied in their opposition so that the Christian, while he remains in the world, is represented as being in a state of warfare. And his business is that of a soldier in so much that he is often spoken of as a soldier of the cross and is one whose great duty is to fight manfully The good fight of faith. Brothers and sisters, does that not really accurately describe this life? We live in a world surrounded with enemies. I'd say I love the way he put it, but then I I don't like the way he put it, where he says, oh yeah, and the worst enemies, here. 
and they rage and they wage war against the grace in the heart. And so the, the question is like, okay, if I have that many enemies and they are intent on destroying the grace that is at work in my heart and they never take a break, they, you wake up and they're there. You go to sleep, they're there. You wake up again and they're there. And you think, well, maybe after years and decades of following Christ, they'll diminish. No, it seems like they grow in number. What in such a life is needful? And the answer might surprise us. Paul's answer, I believe, to such a question is, you need love. You might say how in a military warring context where he actually used the word manly to describe as an adverb the way we fight, which is awesome. How, how, you tell me in that context we need love? That's exactly what Paul says. The love that Paul describes in verse 7, I believe is the only thing that will cause a man or a woman who is grace growing in the heart to endure in such a world. And Paul's going to unpack four elements of that love in just one verse, and they, they, there's a bit of a logic that goes between them, but you as a Christian need a love that bears, believes, hopes, and endures. You, you need a different kind of love at work in your heart. Now, I believe that there is a, a shift that happens between verse seven and or verse six and verse seven. If you just look over at what has come before, verses one through six, you'll see a bit of a, a really robust view of love, and our primary, if not only, oh, well, yeah, at times exclusive application has been how you ought to then love other fallen brothers and sisters, people made in God's image, right? The the main application has been, how do I love another sinner? And very little of it has actually been aimed uh, vertically towards God, right? My love for God does not suffer long. Why? He doesn't cause me to suffer. He doesn't sin against me. My love for God uh, does not need to show kindness in in the response to being sinned against. Why? He doesn't do that to me. But guess what does? People. And so for the first six verses, we've had to look at a love that that like wrestles with the sin in someone else and then like wrestles in the sin in me and it doesn't boast and it's not arrogant and what happens when I'm sinned against? I suffer long. What happens when I sinned against? I respond with kindness. What happens when I'm sinned against? I, I don't respond with arrogant boasting, rudeness, or insisting on my own way or irritability, right? God doesn't elicit in us or doesn't give rise to the need for us to not be irritable with him. But there's a shift, I think, that happens in verse 7. And while we've looked largely at the horizontal elements of love, I think the primary shift then goes vertical in verse 7. Now, I, you might say, well, is there not applications of verse 7 
what would it, you, what I am saying is mostly uh, vertical, is there not applications towards the horizontal? There is, but I think it's going to come as a secondary application and an application that is in need of nuancing. If I just said blanket statement, love bears all things, could you not quickly see how that might in certain circumstances cause problems when dealing with someone, right? Like there's going to be times where people would endure things wrongly and and enablingly in someone else's life under the guise of, well, love bears all things. And so whether he, you know, does X, Y, and Z, I just have to put up with it. Like, no, we have to nuance that. However, with verse 7, there need be no nuancing when it comes to our love then of God. I don't need to nuance love bears all things when it comes to God, my love of God. I don't need to nuance I believe all things that he gives me to believe. I don't need to nuance that. I don't need to nuance that all that he's given me to hope in, I hope in. Right? So we will look at each of them first with a bit of a nuanced horizontal application, but then I want the primary scope to be our love towards God. Hopefully that, that's not too far out in the weeds and difficult for us to track with. So when we look at that first element of love, love bears all things. We want to consider first that horizontal us towards other people. What that means is when it, that, the idea of bearing has that idea of, of holding up under. It's not crushed by the weight. It, it has elements of endurance, but endurance we'll look at the, uh, as the fourth aspect. But that idea of, of bearing or almost covering over in love things that are difficult. So as uh, I think as A.A. Hodge says, love uh, isn't uh, suspicious or uh, you know, love is not easily put off or uh, you know, love seeks to uh, to cover over the offenses of others. Now, does love on this level do that? Yeah. I mean, there, I'm Paul, I think it's Paul. Someone in the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins, right? Our love does bear all things in regards to the way that we deal with other people. But, Hasn't he already largely handled this idea already in our text? Just look back at verse uh, 4. Love is patient when it suffers. Love is kind in response to suffering. Love um, is not further down in verse 5, irritable or resentful. All of those kind of wrapped up as going, yeah, I've already talked about when sinned against, how do you respond to other people? So I think that there's something actually different, not redundant, going on right here in this text. The bearing all things here is, I believe, with regards, largely or first and foremostly, with our relationship, our love for God. You might say, well, what do I have with regards to God that requires me to bear something? Has God not given you as a Christian 
a calling in this life. And that calling, you could, you could summarize it in just two words that Jesus said. Follow me. Is that not at times extremely difficult to bear? Yeah. Is it not true that when you, I don't know the context of each and every person in this room and how and when they came to faith, but isn't, isn't it true in a lot of cases that when you signed up for being a Christian, however you want, we want to describe that process, you didn't know what it would end up costing you. Similarly, uh, when someone, we can, we, we can see it in their, well, we can't, we can see it ahead of them. When someone gets married, you get a young couple, and they're up there, and they're just googly-eyed. As like the salty old veterans, you're like, huh, just wait. You're like, no, no, this is a joyful day. Don't say that. They're like, just wait. You're like, no, no, don't rain on the parade. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, when I said I do to my wife, best decision I ever made, I could not have told you all of the twists and turns and crazy things that have happened just in 17 years. And those of you who've been married here like for an eternity or almost that, you would say like, yeah, you don't know what all is included. I mean, it doesn't change at all the I do, but there's no way to know. Similar and on a, on, I think on a bigger level even, when you say I will follow Christ. Oh, does that take some cross-bearing? Some of you have had to lose relationships you never thought you'd lose. And it was crushing. Some of you have had to say goodbye to styles of living that you loved. And it's crushing. Some of you, I mean, we could just go around the room and talk about the things that have been included in the cost of being a disciple. And you would say, man, you want to talk about bearing something. I've had to bear it. Edward says of this element of love bearing all things, especially with that vertical aspect, a truly Christian love will make us willing for Christ's sake to undergo all suffering to which we may be exposed in the way of duty. It is necessary to our being Christians that we should give ourselves to him unreservedly to be his holy, his only, and his forever. The idea behind that, that I mean, it's, it's just four words in the English. Bear, love bears all things. You just take that and think of it in the context of what does it mean to be a, a disciple of Christ. And Edward says, it means you unreservedly follow Christ wherever he leads you in this life. And whatever burden he calls you to bear, Love for him says, I bear it for you. That idea of bearing me, holding up under, that all things, he doesn't define it. It's just hugely inclusive. One of the more, uh, well, it's less scholarly uh, translations might be, uh, love bears all the stuff. 
stuff. Just all the stuff that God lays upon the shoulders. And I want to read just, I think it's about five passages that help fill in some of the gaps here and, and paint for us the picture of what is a Christian called to bear in your love for God. Luke 9. And Jesus said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my, sake will, for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Philippians chapter 1. It has been grace gifted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The image there uh, in Philippians chapter 1 is like, Grace comes with a gift in each hand. And in her first hand, it's belief. And in the second hand, it's suffer for him. Both came as grace's gifts. Acts chapter 5, speaking of uh, the disciples, and they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. If you were asked by someone, what does it mean? You say you love God. What does that mean? There's a way of defining it that could go something like this. It means that whatever in his sovereign, loving, kingly grace, he so lays on me, I bear it. Whatever it is, whether it's the loss of a loved one or disease I bear, whether it's difficulty and disappointment, whether it, I mean, you could just start filling in all of the things that, we, that could be encompassed by that and love for God would say, whatever, without reservation, you so decree. That is not a natural love. That's not a love that starts in this wretched, dark thing and goes, you know what? I'm going to just trust God on everything. Like, no, that's, that's the spirit working in the heart of a, of a, of a believer, of a, of a man or a woman or a child who trusts Jesus. That spirit working in there uh, works a love that says, whatever, I will bear it. With his strength, obviously. For his glory, obviously. With pain and suffering and weeping, surely, but still bears it. Edward says uh, of this unreserved uh, bearing of all that God lays on us, sufferings are a part of the cost of being religious. He would, he would mean that in a good sense. He, therefore, that is not willing to meet this cost, suffering, never complies with the terms of religion. He that does not receive the gospel with all its difficulties does not receive it as proposed to him. 
He that does not receive Christ with his cross as well as his crown does not truly receive him at all. It's true that Christ invites us to come to him to find rest, to buy wine and milk. But then he also invited us to come and daily take up the cross that we might follow him. And if we come only to accept the crown, we do not in truth accept the offer of the gospel. For both go together, the rest and the yoke, the cross and the crown. And if we only accept the one, we accept what God has never offered us. When Christ, if I uh, use Bonhoeffer's uh, way of uh, saying it, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's one of the reasons why I think the the so-called prosperity gospel is so despicable. It offers a gospel to a person that God never did. And then when they suffer in this life, they think, guess what? I'm doing something wrong. No, Christian, when you suffer in this life, you, you are experiencing what he promised. And it's not a strange thing. It's not out of the ordinary. That doesn't make it any more fun to deal with. But when we engage in suffering in this life, it's not abnormal. It's what he promised. So when we say, I'll have the salvation without the suffering, we try to settle for a deal that he never offered. True love for God does not say, I'll take the one and not the other. True love for God says, I take Christ, his cross and all. And that would include our own personal cross bearing. The Christian And their love for God bears all things whatsoever Christ gives. Secondly, and we'll have to pick up the pace, love believes all things. Love believes all things. Now, uh, this would be very, I guess, uh, the need to be nuanced on the horizontal level. Right? If we're thinking love towards one another, just flat plumb believes everything. You'd be like, oh, okay, I can see how this would need some nuance. I mean, parents, we do not love our kids this way. When they're, we ask them, did you clean your room? And they're like, of course. I'm not going to be like, well, I love you. I can see half your stuff pouring out the door from where I'm standing. But you know what? In love, I got to believe. Like, no, we'd say, well, uh, no, there's some, man, there's some, Fences we put around that. So we might say in a nuancing on a horizontal plane that love isn't uh, gullible, but love's willing at times to be rightly and wisely vulnerable. We, we would say that, 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 that love wants to, uh, in good faith, give the benefit of the doubt. I actually think that, again, this would be largely a vertically aimed application. He's already covered this on a horizontal plane when he says that love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. And there's elements where we uh, want to continue to uh, trust people in the ways that we can. 
But the main application here, I'm going to say, is again vertical. I think he's handled the horizontal previously. I think the main application here is vertical. And you might say, well, what would lead you to think that? Well, if you just looked at the words that show up in our text here in verse 7, throw the, the bearing all things out just for a moment. Belief, hope, and the idea of love, that, that, that triad, faith, hope, and love, those three are always kind of run together. And when they run together, I believe without exception, they're aimed at the Christian's relationship with God. Our faith, love, and hope with regards to him all go together. You might say it says believe. Now, does it say faith? Well, I'm sure you would know by this point that we, we actually need two different words to do what the Greek can do in one, right? So faith would be the noun in English. Believing would be the verb form of it. So you could even make, you could play with the language a little bit and say, uh, love faiths all things. I mean, it, it's clumsy, but we, we can see that it's actually the same word that we would use for faith or belief, same idea, to trust or entrust to believe. And then he puts, uh, not, not a limiting factor on it, but he says all. So love believes all. On a horizontal plane, you could see it quickly, there would need to be borders put on that, right? I don't want, we're not called as Christians to believe lies, we're not called as Christians to believe deceiving persons or wicked people and their propaganda. Like, no, we're not called to do that. So the vertical would, would actually be, uh, would need no nuancing or explanation other than this. Love for God believes all that God has said and doesn't sit in judgment over what God has said. Love for God says if you, oh God, in your word have said it, I believe it. And I don't care what the world says about it. I, I, I don't care that the world thinks we are uh, several steps below like cavemen for believing what we believe about human sexuality. Don't care. God was not ambiguous when he talked about it, and we believe it. I don't care, or ought not to care, when everything within me conflicts with what God's word says. Like, no, I have a choice over my own salvation. I'm the captain of my fate. And then at some point, uh, the spirit lovingly uh, puts us in a chokehold, and we, we tap and say, okay. You did it, Lord. Otherwise, there's no way I'd be saved. Like, he, he does that, and it's a it's really good thing that he does. He's kind. He's patient with us. And then there's sometimes where he just says, you know, I've had enough of dealing with you. Uh, you're you're going you're gonna to tap on this one. So even when the world and the flesh all, all have different ideas on what God says, what does the love for God say? I believe all that he's put before me to believe. And I want, and I want to endeavor to believe it. Now, you might say, like, is that it? I'm not sure. I don't know about you, but I find believing to not be the easiest thing in the world. I, like that, that prayer from that, the Father in Luke not, or Mark 9, it, it 
it's, there's a reason why that hangs on the wall in my study. I believe, help me in my unbelief. Trusting God is hard. There's, in, there's, other, there's some ways where we're like, it, it's easier than others or less hard than others. There's other areas where we're like, God, it's hard to trust you. Any parent who has kids can feel the pinch of that deeply. I trust. I can't, I can't save my kids. I can't believe for them. I have to trust that God will do as judge of the earth what's right in each and every one of their souls. Is that easy? I, don't, I have not found it to be easy. Is it easy to believe by faith things that we cannot see? No, it's hard. It's called a fight of faith, not the vacation of faith. I wish it was called the vacation of faith, where you just like passively sit in your lawn chair with the waves lapping at your legs. You're like, I believe. Ah. Paul says it's a fight. It's a race. It's like wrestling and boxing. Those are all not easy activities. I hate running. I've been very vocal about this publicly. Paul says that you run the race of faith, and it's a long grind every day, day in and day out. And so, what does faith or what does love for God do? It says, Lord, I believe you in the sense of, if we could just pick it into three pieces, I, I know what you have said. You can't, you can't believe something that you don't know. I know what you've said. I'm convinced it's true. And then I entrust or trust myself to it. I'm actually going to live my life differently as a result of what you have revealed. It's just very, very simply, I mean, there's places, there's lots of places in the scripture that speak to it, but John 14, 1 is probably one of the most pointed. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. What a powerful exhortation and command from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be troubled. Believe God. That is a battle you will fight on the daily. The battle between Wanting to be troubled by the things of life and figuring out on our own versus believing God. There's a, there's a, a tenacity, there's a fight in faith. It doesn't come easily and carefully and quietly. Like it, 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 there's got to be some zeal and vinegar involved in the trusting of God. Because the faith that we live out in this, in this life, it isn't lived out at Disneyland. I, mean, I hate Disneyland, so, but you get the picture. Somewhere easy. Actually, it would be lived out in Disneyland. Long lines, noise, expensive. Okay, yeah, it is like Disneyland, I guess, but just not the way most people mean it. You live your life in a troubled, sin-fallen world. That's hard. And believing that God knows best and speaks truth, when so many other things in this world are pushing to the contrary, that takes a fight. It takes, that takes some, some just like that inner dog or, you know, like believing it. Down in your bones. Because if our believing of it is only this deep, deep enough that we just confess it with our mouths, it doesn't actually 
mean anything at all. It's actually got to work its way down into our bones. This is one of the reasons why, and we'll just move on after this, Christians ought to be uh, the most teachable people on the face of the planet because we have this conviction. I want to know and therefore then believe all that God has said. And so it shows in the way that you live your life. You're here late on a Wednesday night listening to a really long sermon so that we might more fully, what, know God and believe him more fully. That's what we ought to be giving ourselves to and never thinking, you know what, I think I've arrived on the shores of I know him and believe him full enough. I'm just going to hang out here until eternity. We never reach that spot. We're always growing so that we would know him more deeply and therefore believe him more deeply. Love for God bears all that he puts on us to bear and believes all that he gives us to believe. Thirdly, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Again, just briefly on the horizontal. Uh, One commentator, I failed to write down their name, says that love on this level refuses to take failure as final. Uh, That that sounds good. Again, would take some nuance. Um, This element of love would be that I resist or fight against a very pessimistic outlook, right? So when it comes to dealing with other people, Especially for whatever reason, if you kind of grew up in like the area and the time and the places that I did, can it be really easy for us to settle into a pessimistic view of someone? Maybe I wasn't alone in the way I was raised or where I was raised. But if I could pick on Steve for a minute, I love Steve. You know, it's a, you know, it's bad. <laughs> the disclaimer is that if I were to say to one of you, like, Steve's never going to change. I'm inviting you to then correct me and rebuke me because love doesn't say such things. But we all know that we've thought, not maybe about Steve, but we've all thought that about other people in our life. Like, you know what? I, live, I know this guy. I know this gal long enough. And it's just we give up on hoping and thinking well and giving opportunity. And we just like, especially if you're good or think you're good at reading people, you can write them off. Love actually fights against such tendencies. For the very basic reason, one of the things we teach our kids in what we've come to call the golden rule, right? I wouldn't want any one of you to be like, you know what, Daniel's just, he's never going to change. He's always going to be a hick and stubborn, and he's, that's just him. That's, he's never going to change. Like, no, I don't, I don't want anyone to like... No, like believe that God works in people. Believe that God's spirit moves and that he is more patient than I am and that he's growing people at their own rates and we ought to always be wanting that and pushing for that and praying for that. Love on that horizontal with regards to hopes all things, it, it, it fights against the pessimistic outlook. But again, there's, even there, it's gotta be like, I could see... Man, this, is, this could be dangerous. I could see a, a, a well-meaning teenage girl using this of a deadbeat, no-good boyfriend. Like, you know what? Love says hope. And so I'm going to hope. Bad application. Just, just bad application. Or young men, you're like, 
this lovely gal, she's awful to be around, but I hope, no, brother, run. (laughs) No, cut rope, run, get away. (laughs) Just saying, that is not how we use these verses. (laughs) So on the horizontal, there's got to be some uh, heavy nuancing. But what if we applied it vertically? Love with regards from the Christian to God hopes everything he's given me to hope for. I don't need to nuance that at all. I can just let that hopes all the stuff just just stand on its own two feet. Is not the Bible full of hope for the Christian? And Shouldn't we then like hope that uh, really doggedly and tenaciously? Well, yeah, we should. That idea of uh, hope is that idea of a confident expectation of what is not yet fully or uh, re- yeah received in its fullness. Do we have a hope of heaven? Yeah, I, I've not received it yet. Do we have a hope of the beatific vision, the the face-to-face with Christ? Yeah, haven't received it yet. The Lamb's uh, wedding feast supper, the new heavens, the new earth, and their fullness. I mean, all of these are things. I mean, the, the full rendering of judgment day being received into his presence, sin being gone. I mean, all of those are things that the Christian is called to hope for, and we don't have like a shortage on hope, and Christian hope would be far different than what the world would use when they would say hope. Hope means like something I wish for, and I don't think I'm going to get. It's like when I do nothing differently, and I step on the scale, I'm like, I hope it's different. That is not hope in the way that the Bible talks about hope. That's foolish, delusional thinking. This hope, a confident expectation, was not received. It's really closely tied to to faith, to belief, but anchored in those things that are yet ahead of us, but will inevitably be received by each and every Christian. The things that the Christian hopes for, the things that God gives the Christian to hope for, and our hopes are very different than what the world hopes in. Our hopes are not the same as theirs. The world has a set of false hopes that are more like wants and wishes that won't come to be. The Christian hopes just totally differently. There's this inevitable mourning called the resurrection of the dead that will happen. It will. It will unavoidably, inevitably happen. Where your loved ones, brothers and sisters who fall asleep in Christ will be received back bodily. That will happen. It really will. There's, there's nothing that can separate you from that happening. Have you received it yet? No. Will it happen? Yes. Therefore, I'm going to live my life a different kind of way. Because that will happen. 
What does a love for God look like? I bear everything he gives me to bear. I believe everything he says I'm to believe. I hope in everything I'm called to hope for. Not one less, not one more. Right? We're not going to add some of the worldly hopes on there and be like, well, he also promised health and wealth in this life. Like, no, he actually didn't. <laughs> it's nice when it happens. Like, I, I, I like being healthy. Like, that's a, that's a perk. It's good. It's nice when it happens. But he didn't promise that. He didn't promise that there'd be easy seasons. Now, when they come, am I thankful for them? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I really am. I enjoy when things are kind of going well. But that doesn't mean that I use those good seasons or bad seasons as a measure of his faithfulness or his kindness or his goodness. I, we, we cannot begin to view him in such ways. So this hope is how the Christian then lives their life. It ought to then guide the way that they live. Right? If the world has their set of hopes and those guide them, shouldn't shouldn't there be like a correlation? We have a whole different set of hopes. You would think it would result in very different living. And it should. And I'm going to argue, as much as we could hear that and just be like, oh, I'm terrible. I'm going to argue that they are shaping the way that you live. I can see it. Now, is there a fact, or is there a sense in which we're like, but not like it should. Uh, obviously, not like it should. But I want to hit the, uh, well, the more positive side of trying to encourage us. And like, I, I can actually see it in the way that you live your life. You do hope in God and all that he has for you. Continue to grow in that. Continue to live your life for that. So, Older folks, and I'm just going to let you define whether you fit in that category or not. Nearing the, 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 the crossing of the river, continue to hope in all that God has given you to hope for. Middle-aged folks, in the, in, in the busyness and the craziness of life, with all of the false hopes vying for your attention, do not be drawn off by them. Continue to hope in the things that God has given you hope for. Young folks, if you could set the bow of your boat early, aiming at the hopes that God has put in front of you, what a rich, deep life you have ahead of you. Because you won't then uh, have as many occasions where you have felt the pain and the pinch of chasing a false hope and having it wickedly disappoint you. If you can set the bow of your boat on track for what God has for you early, man, the, the, the difficulties of chasing false hopes will be far fewer and what a, a far better life that would be. Thirdly, or fourthly, there it is. Fourthly, I can count. Love endures all things. Now, on a horizontal level, uh, the idea of enduring is just really simple. It's to remain or hold up under uh, the weight of something. You might say, love endures all things, and so, you know, it doesn't matter what the person does, whether it's, you know, 
bad or horribly illegal or like, no, there would be limitations on this where we would say, should our love be uh, enduring? Well, yeah, but he's already talked about that in verse four on a horizontal level and patience and resisting irritability and, 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 and that aspect was hit. But what about enduring all things? Uh, well, I would say that that would have very specific applications to our relationship with God. And you might say, well, how is that any different than the beginning of this verse? Bearing all things and enduring all things. They both have the idea of bearing up under something. But one emphasizes um, holding up under and, and kind of not being crushed by it. The second one, enduring, has, and you can see it right there in the word, a durative aspect, a time aspect. Not just that you hold up under it, but that you hold up under it for the length of time that God gives it to you to hold up under. It's a military term, meaning, or it has uh, applications in military. It's not exclusively a military term. It means to sustain the assaults of the enemy as the idea of holding up with regards to time. So if we look at this with regards to our relationship with God, love endures, so it bears up under all that he gives, and it endures. It, it bears those things for as long as the time as God gives it to you to bear. That's a very sobering element to consider. Some of you have, have borne up under difficulties for a long time. That is the work of the Spirit at work in you, working a biblical Christian love that endures. My exhortation to you from the Word of God tonight would be continue to endure. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. Continue to endure the attacks of the world and the flesh and the devil. Continue to stand up under the things that you are called to bear. You might say, I've done it for a long time and I'm tired. I believe you. Continue to endure. You might say, well, how much longer do I have to endure? I do not know. But I do know that he will give the needed strength to endure. And that by his strength you can do it. Uh, one last uh, quote from Jonathan Edwards. He says, As the gates of hell can never prevail against the church of Christ, so neither can they prevail against the grace in the heart of the Christian." I think that if we were to look at this verse perhaps with some f a fresh set of eyes, there might be room for encouragement on all of them, but maybe especially on that last one. The love of the Spirit of God is working in you, in you is able and will endure all things. Another way of saying it might go something like this. You will, if you're in Christ, make it to the end by God's help. 
you will, as a fruit of what God is doing in your life, die. You're like, this is the encouraging part? Yeah, die full of faith. That's how I want to die. I don't want to go out in the, like this whimper of doubt. I want to go out full of zeal and faith. I, I, I mean, and, and it's one of the thing. It's one of the the things that I, re, as much as odd as it sounds, rejoice when a Christian dies full of faith. When Tom passed full of faith, or George passed full of faith, they made it. Verse seven rings true in beautiful ways in their life, and I want that. And if you just look at those four descriptors of how we are to then love God and the fruit of the Spirit of God working these in our life, you can see a bit of, uh, of, of a logical development among them. The Christian bears the things that God has given him, believes all the things that God has commanded him to believe as an outflow of that, says, then I'm going to hope in everything in my life on those things that God has called me to hope And I'm going to continue just churning through this life until I get to that place. There's this, I mean, you can see the bearing, the laying of the cross on the shoulders of a Christian almost as the beginning of his life and then enduring as encompassing even unto the end of his life that you will be one who bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things because this is what God is working in you. And so, is there a degree in which we ought to strive to encourage and develop these things? Absolutely. Is there a sense in which God's Spirit is working these things in our life? Absolutely. And we can trust that the one who began this work of love in our hearts is perfecting it. He's growing it. He's, he's nourishing and nurturing it. It's, uh, I think an element that would be good for us to think about it right as we close. God's the one who began the love in our hearts for him. That didn't, that didn't come from me. There was no spark of love that he was like blowing on it and nourishing. And, but it started with me, but he just encouraged it a little bit. And like, no, it was dark, cold, and dead. And he started a work there. Isn't it incredible to think that he took a group of people like us who are all God-haters and is working in us a love that's willing to bear crosses, willing to believe hard things, willing to hope for extravagant hopes, and willing to endure for as many days as he gives us life. There's... Uh, there, there's a verse, I wrote it in the, the copy of the confession that I gave Brian. It's from somewhere in Deuteronomy, I think it's 34. It says that, uh, and as your days, so shall your strength be. It's an encouragement to believers that for however many days God gives you, he'll give you an accompanying amount of strength. It's not like he'll give you more days, not enough strength. He's like, oh, like... It's like what, it's what I do with food, like potatoes and gravy. I'm always like, oh, I need more gravy. Oh, I need more potatoes. Like, they don't match. He doesn't do that with you with days and strength. 
for the length of days the accompanying strength to endure. All from his hand. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work this kind of love more deeply and fully in our hearts for you. We thank you that you have born loving us for you. We only can love you because you have loved us. Oh God, help us to love you well. Help us to love you better than we do. Help us to not gripe and complain at the things you give us to bear. We pray that you'd wage war on our doubts and that we would fight the fight of faith. We pray that the brightness of the hopes that you give your people would not grow dim. We pray, oh God, that you would cause us to endure even unto the end. We ask this for the glory of our Savior and for the good of his people. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.